Welcome to Road to Billions Podcast, the mentality of an entrepreneur. With your host, Moise Bertrand. Hey, what's up, you guys, and welcome to Road to Billions channel. I appreciate you guys for listening and tuning in, and of course, being a subscriber. If not already, do subscribe. You're on the camera, go subscribe. Um, particularly, I'm only going to talk about real estate and entrepreneurship on this podcast because on this channel because um that's what i'm really gifted at and that's what i love to just teach about and a lot of people have been giving me questions about the bird strategy you know what is the bird strategy how could they get into real estate and um pretty much what is what is something that they could just make a quick change on of course to get their money back and continue to invest and your best your best method is going to be the bird strategy the bird strategy comes with a lot of benefits you guys literally um sorry you guys i'm just trying to fix something here real quick on the mic just acting crazy a bit all day. Um, okay, cool. The Burr strategy is something that a lot of investors use in order to sufficiently close out their loan and, of course, keep the house for another 30 years or sell the house. So a Burr strategy, the acronyms is buy, rehab, rent, and refinance. Many times, a lot of investors will make the mistake by not doing their due diligence in the, in the beginning of the process of buying this house because they believe that only because the house is going to, quote, unquote, think or estimated to be ranged around a higher number, that's what's really going to happen. And that is a false advertisement. You know, many times appraisals become, uh, appraisals are a lot lower than we expected. You know, that's why we have all these problems with the industry now. Appraisals are giving houses not a high valuation, which means you will have to bring money back to your closing when it's time to pay off your whole mortgage balance. Your six-figure mortgage balance, your five-figure mortgage balance, depending on what you took that loan out on that home, you have, to, you have to be able to make sure the new loan, the new appraisal, the new value of the home is able to pay off the old mortgage. So what do I mean by that? Essentially, if you're buying a house for 100 grand, you guys, and you know you're going to have to put 20 to 30 grand into it, you're calling something all in. That's your all in price, 130 grand. That's all in. Sometimes you're not going to be able to get the highest ARV, and that just comes with the territory that you're buying into. But I'm trying to give you guys the steps in order to avoid that mistake, right? So what do you do in order to complete a successful birth? First things first, you want to go ahead and get your realtor on the phone ASAP and ask her or ask him for the comparables in the area, comps. You know, one, two, three, four houses, I prefer, four houses. And you want to do these houses in a way where they're similar um, similar in everything characteristics. Same bed, same bath, same square footage, one or two miles away in that radius. Many times, a lot of people would just only take two houses in the area and hurry up and go close a loan. Now, the third and fourth house in the area really wasn't that high in price, and then you're now bringing money back to the closing or potentially foreclosing on the house because it may just be too big of a difference and too big of an equity difference in order to bring back cash. So in order to have a successful bird, you guys, you got to first know what are you going to do to have this house um, come up to this high valuation first and foremost? What are some things that you're going to add to this house to make it a value add? Are the other houses in the area the same price that you're looking for in that ARV? Is that, is that range really good for you guys that after repair value? And then, of course, is the house even going to be sufficient enough to be ranked, ranked that high, you know, um, appraised that high? So I know that was a lot to just digest this now, so I'm going to just go right back to what I was saying. So when you're buying a house, you guys, as an investor, you want to buy houses that are first under market rent and an under market price because you don't want to pay like a regular home buyer. You're pretty much going in there looking for these houses as a steal, as a deal. 
And many people, they get, the, they get it confused thinking that they have to pay exact asking price on the house when that's really not the case. Me being the person I am, I'm a master negotiator. You know, I don't play no games. I get down quick. You know, I stand on the business. And a lot of people, they're afraid to speak up. They're afraid to speak to their realtor to get that lower um, purchase price because that's going to, every dollar makes a count, you know, when they're actually closing on the house, when they're actually refinancing at the house at the end because you're going to have something called the loan balance. And you don't want too much a high loan on your balance because if you need to refinance out and then the ARV is too, too low, you're going to have to bring money back to the closing. You know, so that's why I like to buy very cheap houses. I don't really care if my realtor cries and I don't really care if everybody else around me is saying, hey, you're trying to really be cheap. I tell all of everybody all the time, when the loan closes, you guys are going home sleeping in your beds. I'm the one dealing with this overhead, you know, on top of my head. So I do my due diligence. And how do you do, do you do, do you do oof, your due diligence, you guys? <laughs> Just had a, like a tongue twister. You want to first and foremost, like I said, Get comparables. You want to get comparables in the area, see exactly what houses in the area is valued the highest in that same similarity. The same thing as well, you want to see what are you going to add to the house that's going to create that valuation because I don't need you going into the house to say, oh, well, this roof is seven years old, so I'm not going to fix it up, which is a good you know, age roof. But then you got to think about if you want to get the highest maximum potential of the house being appraised, you're going to have to make a little bit of more adjustments to your budget. You're going to have to maybe get a new roof. You're going to have to maybe paint the house on the outside completely, which I do on all my projects. I feel like that's what you, that's one of the main things you should do. And also adding new carpet or new flooring and also new, um, new cosmetics in the house, lighting, bathrooms, and stuff like that in the kitchen. A lot of people, they want to slice the work into half and go cheap. You know, they want to put cheap materials in the house. They want to do um, a BS job, you know, to the house and expect the appraisal to come and still give them this crazy evaluation for this house. Oh, yeah, I bought this house for 100 grand. I put 20 grand into it. Can it be worth 300 grand? No. No. <laughs> um, the reality of that is no one's going to sell you a house that is going to be worth 300 grand that you only got to put 20 grand into it. And a lot of people, they, they get things confused because they don't really know the process and the birth strategy. You know, they don't know exactly if the realtor is giving them a good deal. They don't know if there is more to the house that they don't really know about. So that's why I always like to ask what's wrong with the house. You know, what are some things that's going on with the house that the owner knows going on? If they don't want to disclose it, it's cool. I'm going to still have my contract to come out and scope the work. But I like to get a, you know, a feel for the house. You want to know that this house is going to be yours, but you have to study this house, you guys. If you're not studying the house that you're buying, you're doing yourself a grave danger. You're putting yourself in risk of all type of litigation, of all type of foreclosures, of all type of bankruptcy and going essentially broke. So when I look at houses that I'm going to buy, you guys, I kind of look at all the other houses in the area. I kind of look at the appreciation of the neighborhood and what's some things that's going on in the area. Um, is there new buildings? Is there new construction? Are other people moving into the area really quickly? Is the job rates really high? Is it low income? You know, all these things that you can see in the city that's changing, in other words, gentrification, that you really want to take account into buying this home. That's just one of the things, you guys, because a city may not be gentrifying really quickly, but it also creates a type of um, burden if you don't have anything, you know, to, to give you concrete, you know, solidification that this house, is, this deal is going to really be good. So I'm trying to avoid, I'm trying to have you guys avoid the mishaps and the mistrials of having that problem. So when you're buying a house, you guys, you want to first and foremost get a scope of work of what needs to be done to this house. See exactly what are all the things that need, the house needs to be done and then follow up with those things. I like to use 
something called rental meter, of course, to see how much the rent is in that area. Because if the rent's really low, that means the housing for the areas is not really good. If the rent's really high, that means you have a high valuation of these houses being worth a lot because you can't charge high rent on a bogus property. So I use Rent-A-Meter and I use something called Trillia and I use something called uh, Zillow, of course, we all know that. And I use my realtor to pull something called comparable analysis, comparison analysis, other word known as comps. And there, that's going to be a compilation of other homes in the area that has the same similarities as your house. That's going to give you a good idea of what the house is going to be worth after you fix it up. Now, how do you get the numbers that's going to make you cash out, that's going to make you straight on the good end, that's going to make you not worry about bringing cash to closing instead of you're going to be getting cash out, you know, out the house? You want to first and foremost ask yourself, what's wrong with the house? Why hasn't nobody bought the house yet? That's your first main concern. Okay, cool. It has a big hole in the roof. Okay, cool. I know the roof is going to be 10 to 15 grand. I have money to spend on the roof. Let's do it. Let's do it. So you buy the house and you know that this house, you know, is pretty much the roof. That was the biggest thing. People didn't want to spend too much money on the roof. Owner said, hey, listen, bro, I ain't tripping on the roof. I ain't really trying to hold on to this property. Just take care of the roof and fix it up and you'll be good to go. That could be the case in many scenarios because people don't have 15, 20, 30, 40 grand laying around to fix a house, let alone fix a roof. So now you're finding yourself a good deal possibly and you're still doing your due diligence now. now I'm not saying you're going to hurt them close on the house. I'm saying you know what's, what needs to be done. When you're looking at the house, you want to think about what would you do in order to make this house comfy as possible? Would you stay in this house? And if you were to stay in this house, it's going to look, you have a good representation of the budget as well. You know, you don't want to spend too much on that because obviously spending money on a house that you don't really know the dynamics of it just yet, don't get too much like splurging about little things, thinking about, oh, we're going to put the best like flooring in here. No, listen, take it step by step. Make it comfortable in your eyes. Because I feel like if you have good taste and you believe you have good taste, whatever you would live in, someone else would want to live in. So think about that. Um, and I want to go back to a point I made earlier. I'm not saying buy the house before that. I know I kind of got a tongue twister into that. I was saying put it under contract. You know, buy it, put it under contract. Temporarily it's yours. Um, but yeah, create the scope of work. Understand exactly what is needed to be done to this house to make it efficient as possible. And I would just recommend to do this as well. When you call and get realtor, not only for the comparables, also ask them for handyman in the area because you want to get a quote for literally everything that needs to be done. You want to get a quote for the floor. You want to get a quote for the paint. You want to get a quote for, you know, little installments on the door hinges, um, kitchen cabinetry, the bathroom need to be demoed and redone. Everything they could think of that could be broken down in the scope of work. You want to be able to have someone on, on standby and have a person of um, interest that you always work with that's going to give you a good number on that. And the reason I say good numbers because, yeah, you go to another um, company and um, what's the word? You go to another company and try, but they might get they might get over on you. And um, I've seen it happen, bro. I've seen people say, oh, you know what? You know, I'm going to go check this other company out. And I'm like, whatever. Then they paid 10, 15 grand extra just because they didn't want to come back and say sorry. So, rule of thumb, don't try your developer, don't try your contractor, get good, good, get good rates on everybody though, but also the person that you're going to work with, work with them more, more, well, like, don't let people out here feel like you're playing games with their money, and just be someone who's very transparent, listen, I'm going to spend 20 grand on this house, what could you do for me, 
30 grand on this house, what, what could you do for me? Don't start going to the 40 and 50 grand budget and not have the money for it. You know, so I feel like you should always have a relationship with the people you work with and know what, what their expectations are and what your expectations are. And you should be able to communicate that effectively. So when you have this whole scope of work and the visualization of this house, you want to think about what's going to be the real budget. You get me? Knowing the real budget now is going to be the cost of materials and the labor. So, you know, the materials, obviously, I would just recommend you guys get a Home Depot credit card. If you don't know what's one, go Google it, Project Loan Cards. And also, you could, you know, partner with the person on the deal, and you guys can split the funds up. I wouldn't recommend that because you're going to burn through a lot of cash stuff on the material side of things. Um, labor, of course, they're going to charge you a labor fee to install and, and do those things. So definitely have um, that together some, you know, materials plus labor. Materials might be 15 grand. Labor might be 20 grand. Look at that, you 35 grand in. So you just got to be able to work with the contractor or handyman that you're working with just because you want some people to pay. You want some people rates to be low. You want some people, you know, obviously to do great work. So you can't really get everything for quality for, for like, cheap. You get me? So you got to understand, like, sometimes you just got to pay that buck to play this game. Um, last but not least, you guys, when you get to the rent renting part, um, well, before I get to the renting part, um, you got to understand that that house is only going to be based on how you make it look. It's only going to be based on what the other houses in the area are going for, what they sold for, you know. And if you accidentally, it happens, buy a house in the area that never appreciates, buy a house in the area only because it looks like a nice house and, of course, it's bringing you rental income, it may not be able to appreciate really fast and have that high valuation. So when it's time to refinance, your house isn't worth nothing to pay off the old new loan. And um, I see any people all the time, you know, bringing money back to closing. It's not a good pill to swallow. So I just try to re-emphasize re that throughout my episode because a lot of people just want to get into real estate and they just want to buy a house. And I, that's why I tell people, hey, listen, shoot me an email, you know, um, send me a DM, you know, on Instagram, comment, you know, just let me know you need help because I love to mentor people into understanding the whole dynamics of the whole deal and not just looking at it from real estate. Um, and, you know, we move on to rent. You know, a, your renter is going to be the biggest thing because you have something called a DSR, DSER loan? No, DSR loan. Damn it. Listen, you guys, sometimes I be going through so many things, but I believe that's what it's called. Don't quote me on that. Um, yeah, but pretty much your lender will go and give you a percentage based off also what the rental income is. They'll give you like a ratio um, difference. But the one I like to literally work with is just going to a 30-year mortgage. And you might be like, hey, Mo, what you spoke about the first time, DSR loan. They just give you, is this a different um, type of scaling, you know, for um, giving you money back on the refinance based off the rental income and stuff like that as well. So it is another option lenders have. But as well as, you know, the regular refinance, 30-year loan, whatever they give you, 75%, 85% of the real appraisal value, that appraisal is going to be based off the amount of work you did and what materials you put in the house. So don't go cheap, but also don't go, like, broke trying to do too much. You want to keep it right in the middle, like, very high-quality moderate. <laughs> I like call, calling it high-quality moderate because you're going to keep it at a way where people are going to just want to buy it, but you may not be able to go crazy on that appraisal, but that appraisal just might be able to top it just enough for you to get a little cash back. You barely got through. You skimmed it, you feel me? You don't want to be the person who barely got through. You want to be the person who excelled. Bam. So we're going to get that done. 
And the best way to get it done is, like I told you, look at the house from your, your point of view. How would it look if someone else wanted to live in there? And exactly what's going to make it feel comfortable. You know, when you rent this house out, you're showing the lender that first it's, gonna, it's a cash flowing property. It's a real business. You're able to pay the mortgage. Their insurance is being paid. Utilities being paid. And someone is actually in there feeling the home, saying this is a real home. I can live here, let alone a year plus years. So that's a really good look to the lender. And also the profit level, the difference in the actual mortgage and all your expenses, what it's running out for, they also look at that as well as the ratio. So I feel like when a lot of people say, oh, they don't look at that, I feel like they really do. And I feel like sometimes, yes, it may not strengthen your loan, but I do feel like sometimes the appraisal could give you an appeal because you'd be like, listen, this house is rented for 1600 man. I know that you probably just valued it low, but listen, next year is going to be 1700 And then the appraisal, you know, they could just look at that at all areas and say, okay, cool, we're going to take, we're gonna take it in, in consideration. They might do it. They might not. I'm not telling you guys they will. I'm not trying to say anybody has any um, say-so in their decision. But I do feel like they go off the energy of who you are as a person, let alone how the house look. So if you're real genuine, I feel like the appraiser might fuck with you and be like, hey, listen, this, this is what we could do. If you're not cool, sorry, bud. Hang tight. But, um, yeah, the rental part, get the lease signed up, at least for a year. Um, I don't like month for month because they see that as not stable. I like to do a year, and I like to provide that to the lender and show that, you know, it's a real stable cash flow property. And I go through Section 8 for all my properties, affordable housing. If you need help on that, I'll create another video on that as well. Um, so, yeah, so you get all those steps done. You buy it. You know that this house is going to be a great house. You bought it for under market price. You rehabbed it. You know the people who are working on it is going to give you a good price on it, so you're really not going to spend too much on it. You have it rented out after you rehabbed it. So now it's a cash flowing property. And last but not least, ching ching, money time, cash out refinance, you guys. Refinance is the last part in that bird. So when you get the bird done, when you get the refinance part coming up, make sure your credit is still at where you got the house at. Make sure your docs and any other important documentation is lined up, like your real taxes, your real bank statements, everything that's actually going to be needed. Make sure you submit those on all time and in a single single-handedly um, in unison. Don't be trying to send one thing one week and wait two weeks later to send it because when you do a refinance, this time you get to shop around from different lenders and they're going to give you different rates based on the market, different options. Some lenders have different things like they'll give you more money on the loan and um, obviously like they just have crazy ways just to make you have a great house, you know, make you have a great mortgage with them depending on their like stipulations. And you want to wor work with a great lender because that's going to be the person you're paying for the next 30 years. So if you can't really have a good relationship with them, you're going to be gassed out. Um, yeah, so when you get ready to refinance, you guys, this is the part where the appraisal comes out. They're going to order an appraisal. Appraisal comes out there, and they're going to pretty much say, okay, cool, this is what we found in the area for the four homes that we see based off the square footage and how many beds and how many baskets in this home. And we're going to take the evaluation of what we do on this home. So they thoroughly walk through the house. They check everything. They make sure everything's running. They look at it. If it's a female, you know she's looking at it aesthetically. If you know it's a guy, he's looking at the wall, hard, um, the yard work. He's looking at the landscaping. He's looking at the um, mechanics of the house, the structural. The women as well, but the women are more aesthetically pleasing. Because when you have an appraisal done, the house is done. You know, it's up to its fullest potential. That's how you left it. That's how they're going to, you know, appraise it. 
And if you paint it really well, if you did your thing, they're going to go in there and they're going to base it off that. If you didn't do nothing, they're going to give you that same thing. And so forth, they're also going to base you off the materials that's in the house, the floors, the bathroom, the kitchen, the vanities. They're going to base off everything, the lighting. And you want to make sure you have a good appraiser because that's the person who's going to make or break a deal. And you don't want to get on their bad side because they usually don't answer you back or call you back when you have an appeal going on. An appeal is simply saying, hey, listen, I feel like this appraisal is not what my house is really worth. I need to submit more documentation so you understand the level of work I did in this house because you're not going to disappoint me. <laughs> you get me? So let's keep it like that. And um, when you have the refinance done, you know, the lender, like I said, they send their appraisal out there. They give you an LTV loan to value of what the appraisal is. They don't give you 100%. So if they say the house is worth 175 and then you have a loan, they'll just say, I'm doing this math right now, guys, because I'm not no math genius on top of my head. Let's just say you have a loan for 100 grand, right? Your loan, your remaining loan balance, and they come out there, and the house is worth 175. Bam! They say, "Hey, listen, hey, listen, Joe, we're gonna give you 80% LTV, right? That's 140,000. That's gonna pay off the 100 grand. You got a 40,000 dollar cash out refinance. Bam! But that's the same money you have put in. Look, like almost, you feel me? You put 20 grand in, but then you built in another 20 grand in equity in the house. You got 40 bands. Right in your, right in your pocket, lump sum. Your mortgage goes up, but you have a renter in there." You got a 30-year loan, house is done. You complete, you eat all day. And then you can do that every two and a half years. End up selling the house, you make a buck, and then get tax deductions if you don't. So you kind of win-win with real estate. And I feel like a lot of people, they are afraid of working with others because I'm big on working with others. I'm big on like just seeing how people move on their own and then I could collab with you. If I feel like you can't really work on your own, there's no reason for me to work with you. You get me? I kind of like independent thinkers. I like people who are creatives. And I like people who are, like, risk-takers into, like, doing things that they believe is going to make them, like, rich as fuck at the end of the day. And um, I'm, I'm on that voyage as well. I'm on that boat. So I try to tell people, listen, building wealth is, you know, and it, it isn't, like, an easy overcome night thing. It is a longevity play, but it is something you're going to look back five, ten years from now. You're going to be like, damn, I wish I, I, I'm lucky I did at least two, three houses. You know how lucky I bought two, three houses. I'm lucky I got 10, 15, 20, 100 houses, you know, whatever you end up having. You're going to be lucky enough to even have one because that valuation that you're going to have in the next 10, 15 years, that's going to supersede any other investment that's on this planet. You know, land, they don't make it anymore. Real estate is one of the most fastest ways to become a millionaire. 88% of millionaires are made through real estate. So when I tell you guys and I urge you guys to join my class, like I said, join my class, join my Zooms, DM me, send me an um, email. I mentor people. Of course, I do deals. You know, So I try to work with everybody. And the people who, who I work with, I feel like their energy is pure. I don't try to work with everybody. Let me phrase that. But I work with the people I feel like are pure. And um, when I work with them, we make, we make history. We make, you know, it's like Shaq and Kobe for anybody I work with. So I appreciate you guys for listening to this podcast. And I appreciate you guys for listening to the channel and watching this video. Because a lot of people, we are we are lost nowadays not knowing where information is at, where information comes from, and how we could use it for our own benefit. So I'm going to continue to put videos out here and put, continue to put podcasts out here. You can listen to my podcast on Apple Music, on Roll the Billions, um, on Apple Podcasts. And then, you know, listen to other episodes as well as watch my videos on my channel. So once again, I appreciate you guys for listening to Roll the Billions channel and also to my podcast. And you guys have a great rest of the night.